Most of you know that before I became a pastor, I was a science teacher. I had the sometimes challenging and always interesting job of attempting to teach subjects like physics and chemistry and biology to high school students. Now, uh, I like those classes, but uh, my favorite course to teach, however, was anatomy, human anatomy. It was human anatomy because um, I was and I still am um, amazed at how God has designed the body to work together, how he's taken one human body and he's put all of these various parts and systems together uh, to work as a whole. So if we consider each cell in the human body uh, to be an individual component or, or part, then each of our bodies have somewhere around two or three trillion cells, trillion components all working together to make our one body work. This makes the human body, as Psalm 139 puts it, fearfully and wonderfully made. The human body is absolutely incredible. It's absolutely amazing. Your body is absolutely incredible, absolutely amazing. Now, you might not be thinking your body is amazing, but I'm here to tell you today that it is. Whether you agree with this, uh, however, you might be wondering, well, what does this have to do with our This Is Us series? Well, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul repeatedly uses the human body as a metaphor for the church. He actually uses a number of different metaphors, such as a bride, a family, a building, but he uses the body metaphor the most often and in the most detail. And he does so because the human body um, actually is a great way to illustrate how God's designed the church to function. As we're going to see today, just like the human body, the church consists of many different parts, many different members, all of which God's designed to work together in one spiritual body. So why don't you grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and while you're finding your way there, I'll remind you that this series is all about God's vision for our church, God's vision for Harmony Bible Church, and we can put the vision th this way, five simple words. God's called us to be a worshiping community on mission, a worshiping community on mission. Now, I've repeated this phrase about a dozen times or so over the last two weeks, and I'm going to continue to repeat it. And I'm going to do so because when you think of Harmony Bible Church, I want you to think that we are a group of people, all right, who, who are striving to worship Jesus in all of life, to live on mission to help others worship Jesus in all of life. And we're going to do this together as a community of Jesus' disciples. In the last two weeks, we've drilled down on the worshiping part. We've talked in detail about how in light of everything that Jesus did for us, we want to do everything for him. And that is what we want, right? Don't we want to be people who give everything that we have and everything that we are in worship of Jesus? That's what we want, all right? Now, we've also talked about how this becomes a reality in our lives 
as we immerse ourselves in the gospel and how we immerse ourselves in the gospel, first and foremost, through the, the corporate worship practices of the church. So we wanna worship Jesus in all of life. The way that that becomes a reality is by immersing ourselves in the gospel and we immerse ourselves in the gospel, first and foremost, through what we're really here doing today. We're corporately worshiping through preaching and singing and serving and giving. All right, so that's what we've talked about the last two weeks. Now, this week and next week, we're gonna talk about the community part. We're gonna do a deep dive on community on how God's called us to worship and live on mission together. Let's now take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're gonna pick up in verse 12. And, and here's what I want you to do. As we're reading, I want you to count all of the times that Paul uses the word member or part. Now, in Greek, these two words actually are the same word, uh, but our English translations use member and part to help it flow a little bit better um, in, in English. But, but really, they, they mean the same thing. So count up all the times that he uses member or part. He says this, verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I don't know how many you came up with, but by my count, Paul uses the words member in part 17 times in these 16 verses. From this, I think that we can agree that this passage is about membership in the church. This is, of course, particularly true in verse 27, where he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Body of Christ, that's the church. And we are individually members of it. So this is a passage about church membership. And there are three primary things that we learn about it in these verses. First, we learn that the church consists of many members. Look at verse 12 again. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Christ being there Christ's body, the, the church. So think about it this way. It's really simple. You have one body. 
that's made up of many different parts. That's the way it is with the church. The church is one body, one body of Christ consisting of many different members. Now, this means, of course, that none of us, get this, none of us are the church on our own. Look at, look at verse 19 again. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Do you know what the answer to Paul's question is there? What's the answer to, to Paul's question? It's nowhere, right? If there, there's only one part, there's no body to speak of. If all you are or all you have is a hand or a foot, right, or an appendix, then there really is no body to speak of. If you're watching a, a crime drama and, and somebody finds like a, a toe or um, a finger or an ear, what is the first question they ask? What's the first question? Yes. Where is the what? Where is the, come on with me, come on, let's go. Where is the body? See, you can do it, all right? Where is the body? A part doesn't make the body. We are not the church on our own. Instead, the church is all the believers together. Together, that's a really important word. Together, we are the church. Second, in this passage, we learn that we become a member of the body by being saved. Now, this is not uh, the, the real point, the big point, uh, I should say, that Paul is making in this passage, but it actually is the most important point. So, so you need to mark this, all right? What we're gonna talk about right now is the most important point in this passage. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul's not talking about physical baptism here when he uses the word baptized. He's talking about spiritual baptism. He's not talking about what happens when we get into a baptistry. Instead, he's talking about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and gives us a new heart, enabling us to, to respond to the gospel, to repent of our sins, to place our faith in Jesus Christ, and to be saved. In effect, by the word baptized, Paul means saved. We become, get this, we become a member of the church when we are saved. Therefore, to be saved means to be a church member. We're saved by one spirit and we're saved by one spirit into one body. You see that there in verse 13? The body, of course, being the church. Now, I want you to listen very carefully here. There's some of you who really need to hear this today. You do not become, you do not become a member of the church by attending worship services. You do not become a member of the church by being baptized, either uh, as an infant or as an adult. You don't become a member of the church by having your name on a membership roll somewhere. You become a member of the church when you turn from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus. You become a member of the church where, where you lay down your life and you just give it to him. And, and I'm gonna press this on you here because I know there are people listening to me today, either um, uh, in person or online, who, who think that because they attend or watch services 
or because they've been baptized or they grew up in a Christian home or they joined a church at some time, that that means that they are actually a member of Christ's body of the church. I I just want to tell you, I just have to warn you, I just have to plead with you, that is not the case. You, You are only a member of Christ's body of the church if you have repented of your sins and you have placed your faith in the good news of what Jesus did for you in your life, death, and resurrection. And so I just want to plead with you today, if that is not true for you, if you've never turned from your sin and turned to faith in Jesus, to do so today. Stop trusting, okay, in who you are and in what you have done, those things will not save you. They cannot save you. They have no power to save you. The only thing that can save you is the blood of Jesus. But here's the wonderful thing. If you'll stop trusting in yourself, your good deeds, uh, the fact that everything's gonna work out in the end and you will trust in him, he'll save you and he will make you a member of the church and he'll make you a member of the church today. And so if you've never placed your faith in Jesus again, do so right now and become a member of his church. Third, in this passage, we learn that every member of the church is indispensable. Now, I just said a minute ago that uh, point number two was not the primary point. Um, It's the most important point, but it's not the primary point because the primary point of this passage is that every member of the church is indispensable. Paul makes this point to two different types of church members in verses 14 through 26. The first type is those who view themselves, or I might say they view others as indispensable, but not themselves. They view other people in the church as indispensable, but they they don't view themselves as indispensable. These are people uh, who don't value their own gifts and role in the church, and therefore they, they pull back and they fail to serve the body the way that God's designed them to. These are people, and there are many of them uh, in the church who, who say, you know, I don't know what my gift is. I don't really think I have all that uh, great of a gift. I'm not, not even sure I have a gift. And you know, I don't really think that I'm needed. I don't think that I'm uh, all that important. I don't really think that I need to contribute. And so they, they just kind of sit on the periphery. They don't get engaged. However, Note that in verse 18, Paul says that God has arranged the members in the body, every one of them, as he chose. In other words, God's given every member a unique and special role in the church. And that means that we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, but should instead use whatever gifts that God has given us to minister to others. In verse 24, In verse 25, Paul says that God's arranged the body in uh, the way that he has so that we will all have the same care for one another. In fact, just, just look at that, all right? Look at verse 25. He says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Another way to put this is that God has put us together the way that he has So we will mutually minister to one another. Let me me just tell you, if you are a member of the church, and and at this point, I'm not talking about actually being a member of Harmony Bible Church. I'm talking about whether or not you are a member of the, the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ, all believers of all time. If you are a believer, 
God has given you a gift and it's a unique gift. It's a unique way that he has called you to minister to other people in the body. And you know what? Not only are there people who have unique gifts, we all have unique gifts. We also all have unique needs and those unique gifts are meant to minister to those unique needs. And God puts us together in a local church in a way that all of the people will use their gifts to meet all of the needs. God has given us all the gifts at Harmony Bible Church that we need to minister to all of the needs. He's, he's kind of put us together like a puzzle. And as you know, a puzzle only what fits together one way. And so you have a gift that you need to use because if you don't, there are people in the body who are not gonna be ministered to because you only have the, you're the only one that has the gift that's gonna minister to the need that they have. Now, the second type of church member Paul addresses are those who view themselves as indispensable, but others as not. So, so the first type of people that he addresses are those who, who see others as indispensable, but they don't see themselves as indispensable. The second type are those who do see themselves as indispensable, but they don't see other people in that way. These are people who overvalue their own gifts and role in the church while simultaneously undervaluing others. To these people, Paul says in verse 21, look at verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, let's wrestle with what Paul's saying here, all right? It doesn't matter what you are in the body, you are a part of the body. You can't say to some other part of the body, I don't need you. The point that Paul's trying to make here is that we are all interdependent on one another. Regardless of what gifts we have and how prominent our role in the church is, we're all interdependent. The seemingly ultra gifted and the seemingly not so gifted, the seemingly strong and the seemingly weak, the highly visible and the virtually invisible, we all need one another. In fact, we could actually go so far as to say that we desperately need one another. Do you believe that, by the way? Now, here's the, here's the truth, okay? The truth is, is that what Paul's describing here is a reality that's rarely lived out today. It's rarely lived out today. And in one sense, this shouldn't surprise us because it was rarely lived out in Paul's day. That, in fact, is why he's actually writing what he's writing here in 1 Corinthians 12 because there were people in the Corinthian church, some of whom all right, who were viewing themselves as valuable and important and simultaneously viewing others as not so important and not so valuable, all right? So, so this issue has been going on as long as the church has been around. And the issue here, though, uh, at the heart of it is the issue of self. That really is the problem in the church, is the issue of self. You see, if we undervalue or overvalue others, it's because we're focused on us, not on the body. You tracking with me here? When we look at ourselves, we say, you know, I don't really need to serve. I don't really need to engage because I don't really have anything to contribute. Who are we focused on? We're focused on us rather than on the body. And when we think, hey, I don't need other people. Yeah, I'm important. It's important for me to use my gifts, but I don't really need, and I'm not really worried about other people using their gifts to minister to me, what are we focused on? We're focused on the self. You see, again, I'm going to say, just keep saying this. God's given 
every one of us gifts. That, by the way, is the point of both the verses preceding our text and, and the ones that uh, follow up on it. Paul's gonna talk specifically about gifts. We don't have time to look at those today, but he, he lists a number of gifts. We've all been given gifts, and instead of focusing on how important or significant we think these gifts are, what we ought to do is get busy using them to mutually minister to one another. I wanna use a personal example here to illustrate how every church member is indispensable. Uh, 2020 has been a difficult year uh, physically for me. Actually, the word um, difficult is, is not probably the appropriate word I should use, challenging, because compared to what some of you uh, have and are going through, um, it's only been challenging for me. So um, I started wearing glasses, I battle with COVID, and uh, probably, honestly, worst of all, or at least most aggravating of all, uh, for most of the year, I've been dealing with a nasty case of plantar fasciitis, all right? So I was, um, yeah, just grieve with me here for a little bit, okay? <laughs> Uh, so I was running, um, actually I've ran a lot for, for quite a number of years, but I was specifically running a lot at the beginning of the year. And um, I, I made a big mistake. I can look back and say, this is really, really stupid. But um, when I was running a lot, I wasn't um, paying a lot of time to stretching. I wasn't giving a lot of time to stretching. So um, specifically my calf and my hamstring. So uh, they were bothering me a little bit, but you know what? Uh, they're really not terribly visible. And I just kind of had this attitude. I don't really need to stretch. It's not that big a deal. It hurts a little bit, but I can just kind of work through the pain. No big deal. Big, big, big mistake. And, and here's why it's a big mistake. Do you know what the calf and the hamstring are attached to? They're attached to the foot. And when you ignore your calf and your hamstring and they get really, really tight, you know what you end up getting? You end up getting plantar fasciitis. And I've learned that once you get plantar fasciitis, it's really, really hard to get rid of it. You see, those two seemingly dispensable parts of the body, they're, they're not so seemingly dispensable when all of a sudden you can't run and sometimes even have a hard time walking. But it actually goes further than that. Not only has my foot been affected and my hamstring and my calf, guess what as a result of not being able to run is affected? My entire body, right? Because now I'm not getting exercise. And since I'm not getting exercise, I'm lethargic and I'm getting fat, all right? So some of you think that these are skinny jeans. They're not skinny jeans. I'm just fat, okay? <laughs> the point being, all right, that a problem with a seemingly unimportant part of my body or unimportant parts of my body has now affected my entire body. And the point is, is that's the way that it works in the church. When we don't give care and don't give importance and we don't value a part of the body, eventually the entire body will become unhealthy. And when the church becomes unhealthy, do you know what happens? When the church becomes unhealthy, people get hurt, our witness to the world is impeded, and most importantly, God's glory is diminished. You see, when we don't mutually minister to one another, people don't get the care that they need. And when people don't get the care that they need, our witness is hindered. And when our witness is hindered, God's glory is diminished. You know, in, in John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, 
He says, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. In other words, if you care for one another, if you mutually minister to one another. You see, when we don't view ourselves as indispensable and we don't view others as indispensable, what's gonna happen then is we're not gonna be loving one another. And when we're not loving one another, we're not gonna be the witness to the world that God has called us to be. And when we're not the witness to the world that God has called us to be, that we're not fulfilling the purpose for why we are here. And that is to bring glory to God. Paul actually talks about in Ephesians chapter three, that it was God's plan before the foundation of the world to, through the church, make his wisdom and glory known. And the way that happens is by us mutually ministering to one another. And so that is why we want to be a church of mutual ministry, a church where we all believe and act upon the truth that both our ministry and others' ministry is absolutely crucial. Only when that is the case for all of us, will we become the church that God wants us to be and friends, the church that Jesus died for us to be. Did you realize that Jesus died so that you could be a part of the church and so that you could be a part of the church that mutually ministers to one another, gives a great witness to the world and ultimately brings honor and glory to the one who has saved you. So let's talk now about application, right? Let's talk application. If we're gonna be a church where there's mutual ministry, what do we do with this? Well, if we're gonna be a church where there's mutual ministry, we must, and I'm gonna use that word, we must do at least three things. One, we must commit to the church. We must commit to the church. Now, in one sense here, I, I am talking about membership in the church. I am talking about actually joining a local church. And since it's Harmony Bible Church, I'll, I'll speak specifically about joining Harmony Bible Church. If you are a believer and you consider Harmony Bible Church your home, I have no uh, problem telling you that you absolutely should join the church. You should officially become a member of Harmony Bible Church. Now, I realize that some of you will disagree with me on this. I realize there are those who say, you know, membership is not taught in the New Testament, but I really think you have a hard time making that case given passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I know you might say, well, you know, that's talking about the universal church, but the problem with that argument is that this is actually written to a local church. I mean, do we really believe that Paul is telling the Corinthians that they're supposed to care for believers in Southeast Iowa in 2020 or that we're supposed to care for believers in some other part of the world? Now, in some way we are, but, but it's really not feasible for us to mutually minister for, with people that we are not in a committed relationship with in a specific locality. So I think it's actually really clear that the New Testament teaches that all of us as believers should be a member of Harmony, of a local church. And so if this is your church, you should join Harmony Bible Church. And we've got a membership classes on a regular basis. Sign up and, and, and take that. In another sense, though, and really in a more important sense, what we're talking about here is being committed, okay, rather than casually dating the church. All right. So Here's the truth. There are a lot of people who call themselves believers 
who casually date the church. Now, you you kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about here. They hop between churches or they only attend occasionally, or if they do attend, they have no real significant involvement at, at all. That's not New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is where you put a ring on it and you're committed for good. All right, that doesn't mean that there's never time to leave a church. I'm not talking about that, but it means that, that you're saying, I am going to be all in. I'm going all in and I'm gonna commit myself to mutual ministry with other believers under the leadership of the elders of a local church. So if you are not committed and you're a believer, you need to get committed and you need to get committed today. That's 1 Corinthians 12. And to be honest with you, it's most of the New Testament. Get committed in the local church. Two, if we're gonna be a church where there's mutual ministry, we must connect in the church. So we must commit to the church, but then we must take another step and connect in the church. Let's talk about Legos for a second. Can you talk about Legos for a second? This will lighten the mood here a little bit, all right? But I've been a parent now for 22 years, and so I've become intimately familiar with Legos. Um, specifically, um, when I walk through a dark room at night, all right, and step on one. Any of you ever had that happen? It, I mean, it's about the most painful thing that can happen, right? But here's what I've learned about Legos. I've learned that Legos are made for connection. That makes sense, right? You can see that. They're designed for connection. And when a Lego isn't connected to other Legos, it's really just a piece of plastic, a dangerous piece of plastic, right? Similarly, as believers, we have been made for connection. God has designed us and created us to be connected to other believers. And quite frankly, when believers aren't connected, sometimes they can be dangerous, but I will tell you, they are always in danger. Read Hebrew sometime, all right? If you're not connected, you may be dangerous, but you're definitely in danger. You're definitely in danger. So here's the thing though. When we actually get connected to other believers, then we can be a part of something incredible. We can be a part of something amazing. We can be a part of what God is doing in this world. We can be a part of something that brings great glory to him and great good to us and others. And let me just emphasize this for a second. You cannot fulfill God's purpose for your life without being connected to other believers. I just want you to think about that for a minute. You cannot fulfill your purpose. Why can't you? Because you have been given gifts. And the only way that those gifts have an outlet is in connection with other believers. So if you're not connected, you're not using your gifts. And if you're not using your gifts, you're not fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And you know what? You're also going to be a dissatisfied believer because you're only gonna be satisfied when you're using the gifts that God has given you. And you can only use your gifts when you're connected to believers. So if you aren't connected to the church. There's some simple steps you can take to get connected. Begin serving in a ministry, children's ministry, student ministry, hospitality ministry. There, there are all kinds of ministries. Jump in and begin serving. Join a, um, a, a community group or a small group or a Bible study. 
Just build relationships. Have people over to your house. Go out to lunch uh, with one another. Whatever you need to do, build those relationships so that you can grow in connection and begin to use the gifts that God has given you. If you need help doing this, by the way, uh, this is what our campus pastors, our elders, our deacons, and our staff members are for. And so uh, contact one of them today, see them after the service, all right? Send them an email, call the church office and get connected today. Three, if we're gonna live out 1 Corinthians 12, and if we're gonna be a church of mutual ministry, we have to love the church. We must commit, connect, and most of all, love the church. Do you know what comes after 1 Corinthians 12? You know what the next chapter is? It's, it, it's, after 12 comes what? 13, right? But what's 1 Corinthians 13 note of? It's probably the most famous chapter in the Bible. It's the chapter that's all about what? It's all about love. Now, this is a chapter that gets read um, at weddings and uh, vow renewals and marriage conferences. But guess what? it's actually not about romantic love, okay? So if you are uh, getting married, you're planning your marriage, don't include 1 Corinthians 13 in your wedding. Actually, you can, that's fine, but, it, but it's not really about romantic love. Now, now get this, all right? It's about the love that believers are to have for one another. So we love the love chapter, but we have to recognize that it's actually about the love that we are to have for other Christians. It's not about romantic love. It's about brotherly love, love that we should have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, we know that because 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 are about using our gifts in the church. And in the middle of those two chapters of this chapter on love, and you know why it's there? It's because love is the oil of the body of Christ. It's what keeps all of us working and interacting with one another as we should. I know I'm mixing metaphors here, but we all know that there can be friction in the church, right? I mean, that's my spiritual gift, to create friction, all right? But, but we all know that there can be friction in the church. The church is made up of fallen, sinful people, and so from time to time, we're going to rub one another the wrong way. From time to time, we're gonna get frustrated and impatient from time to time, our feelings are going to get hurt and we're gonna get upset with each other. Listen, there, there's no utopia here on earth. And I, I've told you this before. Um, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there. Why? Because the moment that you join, you're going to completely ruin the perfectness that is there, right? That's the case. We, we all would do this, that. And therefore... If the church is going to work, if we're going to be the healthy church that God wants us to be, and quite frankly, that we want to be, then we must learn to, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, bear with one another in love. Love is the essential ingredient for a healthy church. So where does love for the church come from? Where does it come from? Where, where do you get this love for the church? And I hope you get this. I'm not talking about an organization, all right? I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a group of people. Where do you get love for a, a group of people, a group of other believers? Well, first, by understanding that Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. In Ephesians 5, 
in a passage that is about marriage, Paul tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loved the church so much that he was willing to die for it. And you know that anything that Jesus loves that much, we better strive to love as much too. Can, can I say that again? If you're a follower of Jesus, you say I'm all in with Jesus, then you're going to strive to love everything that he loves. You know, t- today it's, it's fairly common for people to say, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't really need the church. I just want to tell you, friends, that's not an option. In fact, if you say that, you really should question if you really do love Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you're, you're going to, in some manner, and you're going to strive to more and more love what he loves. That's what it means to love him. Listen, I know you might find the church difficult. You can say amen. I know you might find the church to be a mess. I know that you might find the church really hard to love. But guess what, friends? Jesus finds all of these things to be true a million more times than you do. Jesus finds the church difficult, I promise you. Jesus finds the church a mess. Jesus finds the church hard to love. It was so hard for him to love that he had to die in order to show how much he loved it. But aren't you thankful that he did? Aren't you thankful that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? Christ died so that there could be a church. And this is ultimately where love for the church comes from. It comes from experience, the love that Jesus displayed in giving his life so that you could be a member of the church. You see, when we experience the love that Jesus showed us, not just once, but over and over and over again, that's when we find the need, uh, what the love that we need to love others as he has loved us. First John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. And, and here's the problem for so many of us. Like, like we, we understand that Jesus died for us and Jesus loved us when we come to faith, but we so often forget that if we're going to continue to grow in our love for him, and have that love spill over to other people, we have to go back and we have to remind ourselves. We have to, we talked about the last two weeks, immerse ourselves in his love over and over again because we're forgetful people, right? Are you a forgetful person? You forget what God has done for you? Well, how do you you remember? You remember by going to the gospel over and over again. And where do you go to the gospel? Where do you immerse yourselves in the gospel? Now we're coming full circle. It's in the church. It's in our corporate worship gatherings. It's as we gather to serve and as we we gather to pray and as we gather to minister to one another that we're pointed to the gospel. And as we're pointed to the gospel, we're reminded of how much Jesus loves us. And when we're reminded of that, it then begins to spill over into one another. And so I I plead with you today, we're growing in this. But I'm specifically speaking right now to the Burlington Fort Madison campuses. Many of you are relatively new. And if you have been here, though, any time at, at all, and you're not committed and you're not connected, you, you need to get committed and you need to get connected. So much so that I would say 
that if you, you've been here six months, a year, two, three years, and you're not committed and connected, you may need to consider going to another church where you can get committed and connected. Now, that's not a way to grow a church. I'm not interested in having numbers here. I'm interested in having a church where there is serious New Testament mutual ministry. So maybe you've come, maybe you've been hurt, maybe you're struggling, maybe you just need some time to sit and, and, and allow uh, the spirit to work and move in you. That's fine, there, there's no problem. But at some point, at some point, and probably sooner rather than later, you need to put a ring on it. You need to commit. You need to get connected and you need to, along with everybody else, get busy with mutual ministry for your good, for the good of the body, and ultimately for the good and for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Will you join me in prayer?